Good evening, everybody. Uneducated Economist here. So I'm going to do one more video before I head off to Texas. We're going down to the Rebel Capitalist Live event. We're taking off tomorrow morning. I should be arriving in Houston around 8 in the evening. Um, but I am super excited. I am terribly nervous about going down to do this. But I, I'm i going to do it. I'm going to go down there and, and give them what I got. But um, if you want to follow me down to Texas... Uh, Instagram. I'll be posting as much stuff as I can on Instagram, and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to meeting all the wonderful people down there. Uh, also, wanted to give a shout out to Peak Prosperity, Dr. Chris Martinson. Uh, he also has a seminar at the end of the month that our man George Gammon is going to be at, and I just wanted to kind of give them a you know a shout out, let everybody know that. Uh, that the seminar is going to be taking place. I'm not getting paid to say it. They did offer me an affiliate link to to get paid for you know all the traffic that goes there. I'm just doing it because I really appreciate what Dr. Chris Martinson has done, as far as all the work that he has done you know throughout all the years. Um, it was his crash course uh, video series that was really instrumental in getting me to start studying and researching into macroeconomics. So I really have to thank him for the crash course series and to give him a shout out, you know, I feel is, is totally appropriate for him. So like I said, I'm not getting paid or anything for that. That's totally just, you know, for him and saying thank you. But, uh, let's talk a little bit about some people ask me why it is that I just don't feel that the federal reserves monetary monetary policy and money printing is causing the price inflation that we're experiencing. And I don't think I ever said that it's not the money printing that's causing inflation. I'm pretty sure that I said that it's not only that, but in the supply chain as well. Because you can go and say, look at all the money printing and look at the price increases. Boom. There you go. Don't need to look any further then you're missing out on a huge section of the economy that is causing these prices to go up, and that's the supply chain breakdown. Now, I work retail for a living, okay? I work at a hardware store. We have what they call A items. These are the items that you roll over every single month, every week, right? This is stuff that you're bringing in constantly because people are coming in looking for it. When you had, prior to the pandemic, you would have 95 to 98% of these A items come in when you ordered them. Now, it's like 16%. So there is a huge, huge breakdown in the availability of items. And when you take the consideration of what is coming in and how much demand there is for what is left, how much is, what is going to happen to the price? It's going to go up, right? Just like anything out there, if you limit the amount of availability, the prices are going to continue to go up. Now, look at cars. Look at houses. Look at anything that has a limited amount of availability to it, and the prices are just going to go through the roof. I look at 15-pound felt. Hasn't changed the price. If you don't know what 15-pound felt is, it's a building material. It's just a vapor barrier that you put on the house before you put siding on. It's a very common product. Nothing special about it. Probably doesn't have a whole lot of material cost going into it or labor. Prices haven't changed. Okay? So it's not everything that goes up. Gold hasn't gone up. Okay? Silver hasn't gone up. You can look at some of these items and say, hey, you know, silver used to be $50 an ounce. So was there more monetary printing happening back in 1981 or, say, in 2011 than is occurring right now? Or do we know that there is paper manipulations that are taking place out there, therefore restricting the prices? 
inflation, okay? Well, if everybody out there was in fear of inflation, then they would run out and buy gold and silver if they thought that that was going to hedge their bet. Are they doing that? Some people are. I mean, I buy silver. I buy gold. I'll buy some more probably at the end of the month. But I don't count on it to protect me from inflation because it never has. Not once. There was one time in 2011 when I could have sold out and probably made some money. But that was it. The rest of the time, I have never been able to beat inflation. Or at least the idea of inflation when you consider how fast it's moving now or how hot it's at. And what you could have put your money into. I mean, you could have put it in the stock market. You could have put it in real estate. You could have put it into used cars and done way better than the precious metal market. Now, I'm not trying to knock the precious metals because I'm a buyer. I'm a believer in precious metals, but I don't buy them to protect myself from, from inflation. I buy it as an insurance policy to have something in my hand that's outside of the third party. That's it. That's my only thing. If it was to protect from inflation... I, I would probably find something else because I, there was a time when I thought it would protect me from inflation, but I don't feel that it would, right? So now, when it comes to what's happening right now, you really have to consider some of the things that the Federal Reserve has done in the past, what they said that they were going to do, and what's happening right now. Because back in the past, back in 2000, there was a Ben Bernanke speech, and I'm going to leave links to these three speeches down in the uh, down in the description for you guys. Now, this Ben Bernanke speech, he was talking about deflation and how it was like could be a problem in the United States. However, he was like, "No way, we're going to be able to fight deflation, no matter what the scenario comes." And one of the things that he has stated was this idea of credible threats. Now, listen to this. Um, the conclusion that deflation is always reversible under a fiat monetary system follows from the basic economic reasoning. A little parable may prove useful. Today, an ounce of gold sells for $300. Remember, this was 2001. More, more or less. Now, suppose that a modern alchemist solves his subject's oldest problem by finding a way to produce unlimited amounts of new gold at essentially no cost. Moreover... His invention is widely publicized and scientifically verified. And he announces his intention to begin massive production of gold within days. What would happen to the price of gold? Presumably, and potentially, unlimited supply of cheap gold would cause the market price to go of gold to plummet. Indeed, if the market, if the market for gold is any degree efficient, the, the price of gold would collapse immediately after the announcement of the invention, before the alchemist had produced or marketed a single ounce of the yellow metal, right? Just the idea would be enough to change the market's perception. Hold on now to this, because just December 17th, uh, let me see, what was this? Who was, gave this speech? This was the Federal Reserve Governor Christopher Waller who gave this speech a hopeless and imperative endeavor, lessons from the pandemic for economic forecasters. This is a really good speech. You ought to read it because basically he's saying that forecasting is just like, you know, a joke. There is no real way of forecasting. Anyhow, um, but he gives three, uh, gives a few lessons here. And I believe it's lesson number three or four, three. Uh, yeah, 
Lesson number three, the Fed has powerful tools, even when the shock is unprecedented. Talking about the, uh, talking about the pandemic and shutting the economy down and all that. We also learned that the Fed has potent tools to deal with the with even such an unfamiliar crisis. Again, talking about the pandemic. The Fed stepped in and lowered rates for the discount window lending for the sorry, for the discount window lending, revived lending facilities from the financial crisis and created a numerous new facilities to lend or support lending to households, small and large businesses, and state and local governments. In all, the Fed created 13 different lending facilities. In most cases, merely announcing these backstops succeeded in stabilizing markets. And, in fact, several facilities experienced very few requests for loans, which I considered a success. So, we learned that when the Fed acts quickly and decisively, our tools can quickly restore confidence even when the loss of confidence is felt as widely as it was in the spring of last year. In addition, when the Fed makes it clear that it is prepared to act without hesitation as a backstop, the fact alone can be sufficient to stem the crisis. So, this is something that we had talked about many times. We knew that the Federal Reserve was going to be using credible threats. And when it came to those 13 lending facilities, we on this channel went over each and every one of those lending facilities individually so that we knew exactly what the Federal Reserve was trying to lend to. Part of that lending facilities was the corporate debt market. Okay, remember this? There were so many YouTubers and economists out there just screaming about what the Federal Reserve was doing and buying up this corporate debt and how they were going to be supporting these corporations and all kinds of stuff. You know, they set the, the facility up, they put a bunch of money into it, they even bought a little bit of that corporate debt, but they hardly bought any. They just sat back and watched all these people go in and try to front run them because there was so much news, so many people talking about it. Everybody fell right into that idea that the Federal Reserve was going to be buying up this corporate debt the Federal Reserve didn't have to do anything. All they had to do was just establish it and give them that idea. And that's exactly what he is saying right there. When the Fed makes it clear that it is prepared to act without hesitation as a backstop, the fact alone can be sufficient to stem a crisis. They're lying. You know, think about it. Here's one more. There's one more speech that I want to give you okay it's not lies okay it's not lies what it is is perception it's just trying to give you that idea okay now remember the taper tapering that the uh, um sorry not taper the uh what am i trying to say here autopilot right when the federal reserve was raising the interest rates back in like 2017 into 18 remember the autopilot that they were they were going on where they were going to raise these interest rates and people said that they could, they're going to screw the economy up and then they did like they raised the interest rates up and then all of a sudden like you know lending started kind of freezing up and nobody wanted to like you know the economy started to turn i mean a lot of people were talking about it even like i mean you know everybody said that they reversed course but they didn't really reverse course they stopped and which is a difference because if they had reversed course then their plan wouldn't have gone through quite as well. Because I don't know if you remember what happened right about that same time that they, 
they stopped raising the Fed funds rate. If that's confusing, okay. I don't know if you guys know, I guess I should talk about the Fed funds rate just briefly. So Fed funds rate, this is like the target rate that the Federal Reserve uses for the overnight lending rate between banks. So just very simply, it's kind of like the base of where interest rates are going to go. So if the Fed funds rate starts to go up, then all interest rates like between the banks that they lend to each other starts to go up. And then like all the rest of the lending out there that goes for the houses, cars, credit cards, whatever, that starts to increase as well. So like the Fed funds rate is kind of like the target rate for the overnight lending. That's kind of like the base where it starts from. Um, I'm going to leave it at that. It's a little confusing. That's probably not exactly right. I probably oversimplified that a little bit, but at least it gives you an idea of what the Fed funds rate is. So that Fed funds rate, that's like the target rate. And when you had like this lending, when you had like this, uh, what am I trying to say? The, um, autopilot taking place. They were raising that fed funds rate, like a quarter point every quarter. When they stopped raising that rate, do you remember Donald Trump coming out and screaming at Jerome Powell saying that he wanted to fire him because he wasn't lowering the rates faster, that he didn't take the rates negative, that the federal reserve should be printing money. Do you remember all this taking place right at the same time? Okay. Listen to this. This is a speech from John Williams talking about how to deal with, what is the title of this one? Uh, Monetary Policy Strategy for a Low Neutral Interest Rate World. Now, this was giving, given in November of 2018. And there is a section in this part of this, or in the speech where it is like incredibly telling when you think about what was happening right there at 2018 when those where the Federal Reserve stopped raising the interest rates and all of a sudden the administration is coming out screaming at Jerome Powell to lower interest rates. Listen to this. Um, let me see. Oh, where is it? Oh, gosh. Why didn't I have this all queued up already? I'm sorry, guys. Hold on. Just bear with me for a moment. Okay. Thanks for hanging out with me for just a moment there. I found it here. Okay, it's cool. It goes like this. Today we face an altogether different set of problems stemming from a very low neutral interest rate that is the short-term real interest rates consistent with an economy operating at its potential alongside a low and stable inflation Ironically, the problem we need to solve these days is the risk of inflation that is persistently too low rather than too high. So this is where, now remember this is in 2018 that this one was given this speech, right? So it's just a few years ago that they were talking about how they had this inflation that was persistently too low. Okay. Um, When the recession hits, central banks may not be able to reduce interest rates well below the neutral level to stimulate the economy, as warranted because of the effective lower bound on nominal interest rates. So you think about that. That's where, like, you know, when they started dropping interest rates and they cannot go any further. The Federal Reserve was trying 
to get more ammo. They were trying to raise those interest rates up so when the next recession came in that they could drop interest rates down. Typically, they would want to lower interest rates around 5%. This would get people out there borrowing money to buy houses, cars, to go on vacation. This is how they stimulated the economy. But with the interest rates, as, with the federal funds rates as low as they were, trying to drop the interest rates down was just they knew that it was going to be a problem. Um, let me see here. So, when policy is constrained, yeah, here we go. So, they knew, right? They knew this was going to be an issue. So, this is what he has to say. This downshift in inflation expectation has a second round effect on real interest rates, the economy, and inflation. Now, we've talked about this one before. Think about this for just a second. The inflation expectation has a second round effect on real interest rates, the economy, and inflation. When policy is constrained by the effective lower bound, the downward shift in inflation expectation raises the real interest rates. Okay, think about this for just a second. If the inflation expectation is low, it raises the real interest rates. So if you're an investor who's going to get 2% on an investment and inflation is running 1%, your real interest rate is 1%. If you can lower the inflation expectation, you can raise the real interest rates. There's no inflation. The Fed should be printing money. Remember this? Lowering the inflation expectation and raising the real interest rates. It was right at the time that the Federal Reserve was basically saying that we can't raise interest rates any further from here because we're going to damage the economy. Everybody is saying it. Everybody knows it. And that's okay because as soon as they stop, the administration came out and started screaming, there's no inflation. And lowered that inflation expectation and kept raising the real interest rates. That's what was happening. Right. Now... When policy is constrained by the effective lower bound, the downward shift in inflation expectation raises the real interest rates, further diminishing the degree of monetary stimulus, making the downturn worse and reducing inflation even more. That part was very difficult for me to try and wrap my head around. Because when you think about if they lower the inflation expectation, that raises the real interest rates and further diminishing the degree of monetary stimulus. Why? Why would lowering the inflation expectation diminish the monetary stimulus? Now, I had to think about this for just a second. If I have inflation running at 9%, but I bought a house at 3%, you see what's happened here? The degree of monetary stimulus during a time of inflation, expectation running hot, will get people to start taking out loans to push it out there, right? To push that, that inflation expectation to get the monetary stimulus to get people to start moving out there, right? So now you think about what it is that's happening with the Federal Reserve, right? Because if Donald Trump and his administration during a time when the Federal Reserve couldn't raise interest rates anymore was screaming that there's no inflation, raising the real interest rates, what is it that's happening right now amongst the media with the Federal Reserve? What are they saying? Oh man, inflation's running really hot. 
it's, it's running really hot, guys. I don't know. We're going to have to raise interest rates. We're going to have to raise a lot of interest rates. What are they doing? They're raising the inflation expectation. They're keeping that inflation expectation rolling. So how much of a degree of monetary stimulus diminishing is taking place when they keep pushing that inflation narrative? You guys see where I'm kind of getting at on this? It's all psychological. And that's the reason why I'm just not going straight into monetary policy causing the inflation. It's because they are trying to get this to happen. They are trying to make you believe that there is an inflation expectation that is running extra hot. Because they are trying to increase the degree of monetary stimulus. Go and read those speeches. It's This stuff is hard to wrap your head around. But there, you, you think about it. Ben Bernanke said that they were going to use credible threats to deal with their monetary policies to try and keep deflation from taking hold. Just recently, Waller had a speech where he says, thank you for the credible threats because they totally worked. And Williams, in his speech, was talking about the inflation expectation and how lowering the inflation expectation lowers the de- or diminishes the degree of monetary stimulus. So raising the expectation would increase the degree of monetary stimulus. All right. I don't know if I explained all that correctly. I did my best. I'll try and do it again if it didn't work. Uneducated economist. You guys let me know. Follow me on Instagram.